Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. We are so glad that you're here. Let's just give the Lord a hand again and just thank Him for what He's up to. And <clears throat> have y'all enjoyed? Have y'all enjoyed this morning? Hasn't been good to worship together and celebrate? Yeah. Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Rescue. And if you've been here, you know that we've been looking in the book of Exodus and specifically at the life of Moses, where here's a guy that was in the backside of nowhere, in the middle of nothing, sort of doing life as normal, where most of us live, where he has, you know, has a family, he's got a day job, and he's sort of gotten into this routine in the middle of that moment. God shows up and God places a call on his life and he says to Moses, he says, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back to where your people are in slavery and I want you to be the rescuer. And what a powerful couple weeks it's been as Pastor Chuck started that series by saying before God can use a life, he's got to own that life. And it's this firm belief in this room this morning that God is calling many men and women to step up and to say, I want to join God, that God wants to use me and my home and my family in Gwinnett County to rescue people that are in darkness and bring them into light. And so if you haven't been here for the series, I'd invite you to go to our website, sugarhillchurch.com and click on resources and listen to some of the back messages to catch you up. But this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. One of the things I love about what Pastor Hector said is that idea that there was a moment where his relationship with his son changed. His relationship with his son changed. That what I believe is that in all of our lives, there are different levels of relationship, aren't there? There's acquaintances, there are friends, there are spouses, that, that along our lifetime, there's different levels of relationship. And in Exodus chapter 24, we see a physical reminder of that. In Exodus chapter 24, there's a mountain called Mount Sinai where God invites his people to gather together and then God invites some of the people to get even closer to him. And it's this idea that not everybody's at the same place spiritually, that some people are far away, some people are close. And what I believe is that God meets us where we're at and God wants to help us take that next step in growing up in him and our relationship to get even deeper. Now, I know I ought to have a theological explanation of this, but uh, I've been at youth camp this summer and our students are going to camp tomorrow. Let's hear, make some noise if you're going to camp. Yeah. Uh, so I've been at youth camp and so I've been, I've been talking sort of in, in youth terms. And so I thought this might communicate. So everybody knows my wife, Laura. If you don't, she's the redhead that's turning red right over here. And when, when we first about four, just over four years ago, we met and just over four years ago, we started dating. We started dating. And when we first went out, our relationship was sort of at one level. It was, Hey, I, I like her. You know, I really, I, I really respect her. I, I like her, but I didn't, you know, when you first start dating, it's a little formal, isn't it? You're, you, you don't know exactly how, how is she into me as much as I'm into her and all of this. And so I'll never forget those first couple of dates. I'd pick her up. She lived at her grandparents' house at that point. And so I'd drive about 40 minutes to pick her up. And in my car, there's the armrest between the front seats. Do y'all have the armrest between your front seats? Do y'all have that? And so we're riding along, riding along. And occasionally both of our arms would be on the armrest at the same time. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that sweet? And so you know what a guy's thinking? The guy's thinking, well, let me just sort of bump my elbow against hers and see if it stays. 
Now, ladies, I shouldn't even be saying this on a Sunday morning. I'm, I'm giving up some of our secrets right now. So just plug your ears for a second. But what happened is we'd be riding along and my elbow would accidentally bump hers. And then my heart would go cocoon, cocoon, cocoon. Have y'all experienced that? Any other guys experienced that? Not afraid to admit that. And uh, so then I would just sort of accidentally bump it again. Just sort of accidentally bump it again. And then there came a point in our relationship, we'd gone out a few times, where our full forearms were touching side by side. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And as a guy, we're, we're really scared on the inside. Maybe some of you guys have more confidence than I have, but I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm still trying to figure out, does she really like me? You know, all, all this kind of stuff. And my pinky can't take the excitement any longer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where our arms are side by side and my pinky's like, hello, over there. <laughs> I know it's not theological, but my, you know, my pinky's just sort of on this, this rescue mission of its own. It's like, hello, over there. And then my, you know, and then my hand slowly goes up. And finally, after an hour in the car driving to dinner or something, finally I'm holding her hand and that's right when we pull into the restaurant. And I'm thinking, we got to go on another date. (laughs) So there's different levels of relationship, aren't there? There's different levels where you start far off, and then the longer you know somebody, the better you know them. Well, here's what I want to say to all of us this morning, is that you can know God as well as you want to. Now, I heard that when I was a teenager, when I went to camp, I heard somebody get up and say, you can come as close to God as you want to. And honestly, when I first heard that, it didn't sound quite right. It sounded a bit, honestly, scandalous for somebody to say, you can be as close to God as you want to be. And so for a while, I, I, theologically, I'm like, does that even work out? Does that even make sense? And inside of me, there's this tension. And what that did inside of me is it created a desire to know him more. Have you ever had that kind of moment where you got to know somebody? Maybe you met them briefly. Maybe you saw them in the hallway or maybe you met them at work and there's something about them that was engaging, something about them that caused you to want to pull in closer to ask more questions. Well, I experienced that in my relationship with God where where what happened inside of me in the middle of me trying to figure, is this true? Is this, try to figure that out. There was this idea planted inside of me not to settle. And in Exodus chapter 24, we see a physical reminder of that. We see this mountain and God, and this is a sermon in and of itself. God comes down to that mountain to meet with his people. And I think that's amazing. I mean, all other religions are talking about how can you work your way up to God? Well, in the Bible, God comes down to meet with us. He says, I'm accessible. I'm open. You can have a relationship with me. And then what happens in Exodus 24 is you see three different levels of relationship. So if you've got one of the sermon notes, handouts, I'm going to ask you to write these down and then to ask yourself this question, how well do you want to know God? How well do you want to know God? Level one, relationship number one is what I call a relationship of fear, a relationship of fear. So here's what it says in Exodus 24, verse one. It says, then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord and Aaron, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel. Can I stop there? My middle name is Gordon. Don't laugh. All right. So I didn't, as a kid, you don't like the name Gordon. I remember in kindergarten crying because I had to write out my full name, Robert Gordon McGraw. And they gave you those giant pencils that are like bats. You know what I'm talking about? The Louisville Slugger pencils. So I thought my, my name was bad, but can you imagine being named Nadab or Abihu? Not, not good. But Moses and these guys are invited, 70 of the elders of Israel, and he says, you shall worship at a distance. Listen to verse two. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. 
And so what begins to happen is you begin to see the people physically divide. There's about 2 million Israelites at this point that have left Egypt, but they're not yet to the promised land. They're in the in-between. That's where we're living. We're living in the in-between where maybe you've been saved, but you're not where God wants you to be yet. Or maybe, maybe you've never known the Lord and God brought you here to say, you can know me. And so what begins to happen is physically you see the people sort of group up and listen to what it says at the end of this chapter, down at verse 17. As Moses goes up, and everybody else is at the bottom. Listen to what it says. And to the eyes of the son of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire. It's like a consuming fire. This is what I call a relationship of fear. These people were, were content with being in the same area as God, but they weren't sure they wanted to be close to him. Does that make sense? They, they had heard God speak through Moses. They had seen God perform amazing miracles, but at this point, they're still at a distance. They know him, but they're not necessarily close to him. They start with a relationship of fear. And I think that's healthy. I think it's healthy. I, I grew up hearing people talk about the fear of the Lord. How many of y'all have heard somebody use that phrase, the fear of the Lord? It's this idea that we're to respect him. It's this idea that we're to have reverence for him. It's this, and I think that's huge. I think that's huge because in our culture, what has happened is a lot of people have lowered their view of God, haven't they? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've watched some show on TV, some award show, and when the person gets up to say thank you to the people in their life, they say something like, I just want to I just want to thank the big man upstairs. Have y'all heard something like that? I just want to think, and we talk like God's just our big brother or something. We talk like he's, he's just a no, normal friend. And I, I just want to say to us, I believe he's accessible and I believe he wants to be a relationship and we'll get into that, but he's not just a little bit bigger than us. He's not just a little bit taller than, he's not the big man upstairs. He is God. He's God. And so there's got to be this healthy respect for who he is, that he's not our equal, that he doesn't answer to us, that he's completely different than us. Because here's what I found is that if we have, if we have a low view of God, then we've got a low level of living. I don't know if that makes sense, but the lower your view of God is, the lower your level of living is. And so what I believe in this chapter, God reminds us that he's different. If you're taking notes, let me give you a couple of ways underneath that first point. Just write these down. These, these are probably not new to you, but A, God is not created. God is not created. You and I, we were all created. There was a time that we didn't exist and God created us, but nobody created God. He's always been. He is not created. Uh, B, he is the original. He's the original. You and I, we're the derivatives. You and I are made in his image, but he's the original. So he's not created, he's the original, and then see, he's independent. He's independent. He doesn't need food, he doesn't need shelter, he doesn't need sustenance. You and I, we need all those things, don't we? We need a place, we need a shelter, we need food in our body. We need all of these things. God's independent of all of that. He doesn't need anything. And then here's the last one underneath that first point, D, he's God. <laughs> now I know some of you are like, you got a master's degree just so that you could tell us that? But it's just this reminder. In, in, in theology, we use a word called transcendent. 
that means that he's above us. He's beyond us. He's completely separate than us. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by space. He's not bound by our mistakes even. He's above all that. And yet in scripture, we see the transcendent God coming down to this earth. We see the invisible God becoming visible, becoming touchable, inviting us into relationship. And so knowing God, I believe, starts with level number one, a relationship of fear, where we see his bigness. We see that he's the boss that as we baptize today, we said that he is our Lord, which means he's the leader. He's the person that calls the shots in our life. He's the director that we give up our rights and we take on the responsibilities of being a child. So relationship number one is a relationship of fear. Relationship two, if you're taking notes, is what I call a relationship of joy. It's a relationship of joy. And so what we begin to see is this mountain. We see the masses at the bottom, the masses that are just watching from a distance. Hey, we we want to hear from God, but we don't want to get too close. He's like an all-consuming fire. There's there's all of this going on in this mountain. We don't know if we want to get close. They start at that level of fear, but that second level is what I call a level of joy. Listen to how this is described as Moses is there. It says in verse 9, and I wish we had time to unpack this whole chapter because it's so, so rich. But listen to verse nine. It says, then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And so they come about halfway up the mountain. So they're not, they're not settling at fear. They're not settling at being mere spectators, watching from a distance. They're going halfway up the mountain. And listen to what this says in verse 10. And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God and they ate and they drank. I don't know how that sits with you, but I find that verse rather amazing. I mean, here are these guys, uh, for many of them, they've only seen the judgment of God. For many of them, they've, they've seen God dole out plague after plague to Egypt and to Pharaoh. They've seen God part the Red Sea. They saw God cause the Red Sea to come back down over the armies of Pharaoh. And so for a lot of them, that's all they've seen up close. They've seen the judgments of God. And so now when they come halfway up the mountain, sure, Moses is there, who, who knows God better than anybody at this point. But those other 70 elders, they don't really know yet. And so as they come up, it says in verse 10, they saw God and under his feet, there was the pavement of sapphire. And yet verse 11 says, he did not stretch out his hand against them. So some of them are still, they're coming out of that fear. They're, okay, this God's different than us. He, he's above us. He's beyond us. And as they get closer, they're still a little gunshot. They're like, I'm not really sure. And instead of being judged, instead of seeing the wrath of God, it says they saw God. And what does the end of verse 11 say they did with him? They ate and they drank. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That is a sign of relationship. That's a sign of relationship. I mean, some of us are still at just the level of fear. The level of fear is, oh, I got in trouble with my wife. And so now on my way home, I'm stopping by Walmart and I'm looking at that, that refrigerator full of, of flowers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All the guys know because y'all stood there for a while, haven't you? Which one do I buy? Which one do I buy? I forgot our anniversary. Do I buy this one or this one? I think somebody ought to label flowers based on our sin. That would be awesome. That'd be great, wouldn't it? 
buy roses and lots of them, right? And so what would happen if I got in trouble for whatever reason, I did something. And so I go and buy flowers for my wife. And then I show up and I say to Laura, hey, I know I got busted for forgetting such and such date or such and such occasion. I bought you these flowers. Here you go. How well would that go? Good or bad? Good or bad? Not so good? (laughs) But what would happen if just randomly on my way home, I stopped by Publix or Walmart, bought a dozen roses. I showed up at the house, hide them behind my back, because really that's all us guys know to do. I mean, that's as creative as we get. Half my arm. What is it, you know? What if I showed up and I said, here you go. I got you these just to see you smile. And all the ladies said, I thought you'd be there for me. How well would that go? Pretty good? Pretty good? Yeah. There's some elbows being thrown right now. That's not right. It's not right. That's the transition from fear to joy. Again, that's not very deep, but it's, it's the best I can do is just thinking about our earthly relationships is there comes a moment that we go from fear to joy to saying, I, I, I'm not just here because I'm checking a box. I'm not just worshiping because that's what I've always done growing up in the South. There comes a moment where we have a desire to be in relationship. There comes that moment. It's sort of when we're dating, there came that moment where, where we talked on the phone about nothing for hours and hours and hours. Then you get to the end of the conversation and well, I guess we ought to go to bed. I, bet, I bet, guess we better say goodbye. Well, you first, no, you first, you first, you first. Have y'all had those, y'all remember those days? There comes that moment where it's joyful, but it doesn't stop there. If you're taking notes underneath that second point, let me just give you just some quick takeaways on that. The way that my relationship with Laura grew is by spending time, by communicating, by learning her heart and her hair in my heart. Well, the same thing is true with our heavenly father. We've got to spend time with him. That if we're going to move from fear to joy, it really is the amount of time that we spend with him. And so let me just give you a couple of things underneath that second point. A, pick a place. Pick a place to meet with him. Pick a place to meet with him. In our house, we've got sort of a formal sitting room. Often I'll get up and I'll see Laura in that room. That's her place. For me, it's usually a brown chair in in our living room or at my desk at home. But I would say pick a place that you know that a certain time of day you're going to be there and you're going to be ready to speak and spend time with God. So pick a place and then be underneath that. Come prepared. Come prepared. We need to come ready. We need to come saying, God, I want to hear from you today. I don't want to just sit here and I don't want to just look at words on a page and not get anything from it. But God, I want to hear from you. To come prepared means that I I usually start my time with the Lord each day just confessing any sin that I know and just asking God, is there something in our relationship I need to hand over to you? So A, pick a place. B, come prepared. And then C, have a Bible with you. Have a Bible with you. I know that many of you have portions of scripture memorized and many of you have devotional books and those are great. I mean, uh, Pastor Chuck's given us a great resource in the, in the prayer journal that we have. And, and as we're marching through the New Testament, I would encourage you to have a copy of God's word with you and spend time in it every single day. For me, what I've found is that if that time isn't long enough, it takes me a while to dive in. I don't know if you're the same way, but it takes a few minutes for my mind to calm down, to silent, and to be able to hear. So I'd say, try to block out at least 30 minutes so that you have some time to sit. You have some time to just be silent, to pray, and then dive into God's word. 
If you don't have a reading plan and you've got one of our one-year devotionals, I'd encourage you, follow the reading plan. Every single week of this year, we're challenging our church to read through the New Testament. And our reading plan is on our online bulletin. So check that out if you don't have a place to start. But I would say pick a book of the Bible and read through it systematically, chapter by chapter by chapter. And then here's the last thing, D, I would encourage you to have something to write on with you, a notebook of some sort. Because if we really believe this is God's word and we really believe that God wants to speak to us, then I want to be ready to write down whatever he says. I want to be ready to write down whatever he says. So if you ever look at my Bible, there's highlights, there's underlines, there's notes in the margin because I want to record what God has said in my life. I'm telling you, it's so powerful. Our, our, our small group that meets on Monday nights, we keep a prayer journal and it's so powerful to be able to look back and to see the hand of God and to see how he's answered. So it starts with a relationship of fear. It leads to a relationship of joy. And then here's the last level. Here's what I'll close with. A relationship of sacrifice. A relationship of sacrifice. Listen to what happens. So they come halfway up. They get to spend time with God. Well, if you want to have that kind of relationship with God, you've got to spend time with them every single day. Well, Bobby, what do you mean by every single day? I mean every single day. Well, what about the weekends? Every single day. What about July the 4th? Every single day (laughs) that we would build that into our DNA. But listen to what happens in verse 12. It says, now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there. And I will give you the stone tablets with the law of the commandment, which I've written for their instruction. Verse 13. So Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. Verse 15. Then Moses went up to the mountain of God and the cloud covered the mountain. Now, he's 80 years old at this point. He doesn't just go up the mountain one time. If you closely study Exodus, he goes up and down the mountain at least seven times. At least seven times. Verse 15, it says, Then he went up to the cloud covered, verse 16, And the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses, uh, called to Moses from the midst of the camp. Fast forward over to verse 18. It says, and Moses entered the midst of the cloud and he went up to the mountain and Moses was on the mountain for how many days? What's your Bible say? For 40 days, for 40 days and 40 nights. Think about that. There are some people that are at the base of the mountain. They're getting distracted. They're like, where's this Moses guy gone? Where is he at? Some people went halfway up the mountain. They shared a meal with God, which I think is pretty incredible. But Moses didn't stop there. Moses didn't stop there. God calls him up and Moses spends 40 days and 40 nights at the top of the mountain. There's no mention of food. There's no mention of comfort. In fact, Mount Sinai is granite. So it's not, there's no little comfortable place to stay. It's I want to be near God. The sacrifice, the sacrifice for us to go up in our relationship with God. It means there's going to be some things that we have to give up in our life. The, the closer we get, the more God shines his light into our heart and he begins to show us areas of our life that we need to surrender to him, areas of our lives that we've got to hand over to him. I've got written in my notes that anytime we go up, when we have to give up, sometimes it's about denying ourselves. It really is that there comes a moment where we quit holding on to our preferences and we begin to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. We begin to say, God, what areas of my life have I been stubborn? What areas of my life have I been holding on to? Bitterness, jealousy, greed, anger, lust, pride, whatever those things may be, that as he x-rays our hearts, we would say, I want to deny myself and surrender those for you. 
Another thing that he calls us to do is to take risk for him. That for Moses, as he's living in comfort in the middle of Midian, God says, I want you to leave comfort and I want you to go back into slavery. I want you to go back into the darkness. And when you go back, you're not just going to hang out and say, hey, how's everybody doing? Your job is to go back into Egypt and pull people out of darkness to rescue them. That God's dream was never for us just to gather in a building and to say, well, I know him, bless God, and then just just live disconnected the rest of the week. There's a reason why God brought us to Gwinnett County. There's a reason why you live here. There's a reason why you're part of this church this day and age. I believe it's God's raising up Moses in this room to say, I want you to reach to those that are in darkness. Maybe they're not enslaved to Pharaoh, but they're enslaved to their sin. They're enslaved to darkness. And God is calling us to leave this place every single week and to live this out among the people around us and to share the light of Christ to their dark situations, to rescue Gwinnett. So for us to do that, we have to deny ourselves. For us to do that, we have to take risks for him. And there comes a moment that as we're doing that, that we're going to have some prices to pay. Anytime God calls us out of our comfort zone. See, a lot of times we want it easy, don't we? Hey, I want to go up without giving up. And I'm telling you, anytime you go that deep in a relationship, there are some sacrifices involved, some sacrifices involved. In fact, uh, when I was thinking about this week, I was reminded last night, uh, my, my in-laws are here, my brother-in-law's here, and last night we got to celebrate with Laura's grandparents their 60th wedding anniversary. Think about that, isn't that awesome? 60 years, 60 years. And it caused me to remember back on that day that I asked the Lord to marry me. In fact, Matthew Suddeth got engaged this week, and so he knows this moment well. Uh, but there comes a moment, I hope that's public knowledge. Uh-oh, that's a bad preacher announcement right there. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> but there comes a moment in your relationship where you're willing to sacrifice for the person that you love. I mean, for my wife, I wanted to engage, uh, get, I wanted to propose to her, and so I wanted to do it right. So I took her to Crystal's for dinner. Got a number one. I told her you can add bacon to it if you want to. I picked up a ring at the Dollar General. I slid it across the table and said, here you go. Will you marry me? All the ladies are angry at this point. All the guys think that's a pretty good idea, don't you? It's pretty good. No. What I did four years ago, a little over four years ago, flew up to Michigan, hung out with Laura's parents, awesome people. Tried to figure out how do you break the ice and talk to a future father-in-law to ask if he will be a future father-in-law. You know what I'm saying? And finally asking, having that conversation, flying back home, saving, 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 shopping, getting on Google, finding out that there's four C's you look for when you buy a ring. Y'all remember these? Cut, color, clarity, and carrot. And so start doing the shopping, shopping, shopping. Finally get to the day. I, I thought I'm going to wait a couple months, but any guy knows once you buy the ring, it's burning a hole in your pocket. Isn't, it? isn't that true, Matthew? It's like burning a, po- a hole in your pocket. Can't talk. And, uh, and so uh, I finally, we went to a little spot up at Lake Lanier's Island and we're sitting there and I gave her this book full of pictures of our, of our year and a half of dating, basically. And uh, in the book, I have this silly little script in there. Uh, the boy liked the girl. The boy loved the girl. They dreamed of life together. And then at the end, I pulled out a ring and got down on one knee and asked her to marry me. <laughs> That's twice. That's pretty good. That's twice. And she said, yes. She said, yes. And, and Diane Moffey, who was just taking pictures 
up here for the baptism was hiding in the woods taking pictures of us that whole time. She's like the, the engagement paparazzi. Well, let me ask you a question. Why would I fly to Michigan and try to have that conversation, which for any guy is awkward to start? Why would I do that? Why would I save money to, to buy a, a ring to, that represents my commitment to her? Why would I risk losing my man card by telling you about the picture book that I made for her? Why would I do that? Because I love her. And when you love somebody, you're willing to do whatever it takes to see them smile. Well, what I want to say to us this morning is that as we fall more and more in love with God, the sacrifice isn't something negative. It is so, so worth it. It becomes less about the obstacles to just saying, God, I don't, I'm not just here. I'm not just doing the right thing just to check off the box. But God, I want to live in such a way that I can see you smile. I want to live in such a way that I can see you smile. And so this morning, maybe you feel far off. Maybe you feel so distant from the Lord. Well, the great news in Scripture is God's patient, and he came down to us to invite him, us to come to him. You can do that this morning. For some of us this morning, you've never been saved, and the greatest thing that could happen is for you to come to the end of your life to deny yourself and say, it's not about me, it's about you, God. There's no way I could cover up my own sins. There's no way I can make this relationship right, but I believe that you came to this earth and you died on the cross to pay for my sin, and you rose again. God invites us to ask him to step out of heaven and step into our heart and become the leader, the Lord of our life. If you've never done that, that's the greatest thing that could happen is that in just a moment when, when we bow to pray in your head and your heart to say, Jesus, I need you to do that in me. Dear Jesus, I need you to do that in me. You can do that right where you're sitting, right where you're at. For some of us, you've known Christ for a long, long time. You've known him, you've been to church, and you, you know the Bible stories and you know the life of Moses because even if you don't read it, you can watch the movie, right? And, and God's saying, I don't want you to settle where you're at because that's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy for us to settle And yet God calls us up. God calls us up from a relationship of fear to a relationship of joy where we spend time with them to a relationship of sacrifice. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This morning as we pray, I just want to know how to pray for you. Is there anybody this morning that would say, Bobby, I know him. I I know the Lord. I know my Savior. But to be honest, I've sort of settled. I've sort of settled with where I'm at. I don't have that same kind of spark, that same kind of passion, that same desire to live out for him every single day. And you just say, Bobby, uh, would you just pray for me this morning? I want, I, I want that desire back. I want, I want more of God. The book of James says that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So is that anybody's prayer this morning? If that's you, would you just slip your hands straight up in the air? Because I'd just love to, love to pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. I want more of God. You put your hands down. Let me ask one more question. Is there anybody this morning that would say, Bobby, I'm not sure that I even know him. I'm not sure there's ever been a moment that I've been saved. I'm not sure that I've ever entered into a relationship with him. But I know I want to. I want to. I sense sense him drawing me. I sense I, I want to know him. If that's you, would you do the same thing? Just slip your hands straight up in there. Just hold it up high enough so I know how to pray for you this morning. You just say, pray for me. I'm not sure I know him. I'm not sure I have any kind of relationship with them, would you pray for me? If 
that's you right now in your head and your heart, would you just pray this simple prayer? It's not the words that make the difference. It's what your heart believes. Would you just say, dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I believe that my sin separates me from you. You can't just say that in your head, in your heart, in your own words. I know, I know my sin separates me from you. But as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me and help me to turn from that sin and turn to you. Just tell them that. I pray that you'd save me and become the Lord, the leader of my life. Did you just pray that? If you prayed that for the very first time, would you just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that for the very first time right after the service is over, I'm going to invite you to just pop by the, the hospitality room and just, just tell me that. I'd love to celebrate that with you. I'd love to help you get plugged into a place where you can grow and know more. If you're a believer in the house this morning, would you pray this part of the prayer with me? Dear Jesus, thank you that you came down so that we could come up. Thank you for your invitation to know you help me to know you more. Help me to know you more. Father, I just say thank you that that we can be part of a rescue mission because you first rescued us. And so I pray that today you would seal these truths deep in our heads, deep in our hearts, and help us to want more of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.